Hello and welcome to NFL First and Goal, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL quarterback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on key matchups across the league. Among our guests, we'll recap the game between the Eagles and Buccaneers with TJ Reeves of the Buccaneers Radio Network and talk Vikings and Packers with Greg Madzik from the Packers Radio Network. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL Insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, let's start in Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers, a surprising 2-0 team. They beat Philadelphia, and Ryan Fitzpatrick was brilliant again today. Four more touchdown passes. you have any sense of what the Bucs are going to do at the quarterback position in two weeks when Jameis Winston is eligible to play coming back from his suspension? Yeah, you know, I actually talked with Buck sources before the game about this very scenario, and you know, the description given to me was kind of like you would talk about a running back, uh, which is basically they're just going to ride the hot hand. And I think for you know the Bucks, there's no question, based on the people I've spoken with, that uh, Jameis Winston is the face of the franchise; that he is going to be their quarterback going forward. Uh, but he's not here right now. He's not going to be here till Week Three, which is a Monday night game. So there's going to be a short week. From week three to week four. So from what I understand, you know, they may well just let Fitz play until he starts to struggle. Uh, Just kind of ride the hot hand. It's Fitz going forward until it isn't anymore. And, you know, I think for Jameis, he wants to get back and, you know, get some time to get into the swing of things. Doesn't sound like he's in too big of a rush either. Um, so I think this actually might be an okay situation for all parties if Fitz just keeps on playing until. Uh, staying with the Packers and Eagles game, Fitzpatrick, the backup, looked great for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But what about on the other side uh, of the field with Nick Foles? Again, uh, up and down game, yeah. uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions. But, but give us an idea of what, what the Eagles are looking forward to. Yeah, I think for the Eagles, you have a couple things at play here. You know, First of all, uh, Doug Peterson said right after the game that they're going to have an announcement on Carson Wentz tomorrow. That should be him getting cleared for contact. I mean, my explanation that was given to me is that in week three, Wentz should be cleared. And then it's a matter of what happens because it's not as simple as, all right, Wentz is cleared for contact. Um, you know, let's just – he's the starter. It's really just – is he cleared for contact? How close to 100% is he? Um, what other factors are at play? And there are some, some strong voices inside the organization that are pushing for patience. Even though um, you know, the Eagles are 1-1, one one, so they've kind of maintained without Wentz. Um, but obviously, you know, he's going to be pushing to play. So just because he gets cleared tomorrow uh, doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to come in and start right away. He will, but only when he's absolutely ready. He's Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber taking you around the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, yesterday the Browns announcing they're parting ways with Josh Gordon. What's the likelihood he's traded before he could be released tomorrow? I would say it is possible, and this is something that um, the Browns are sort of preparing for. You know, they did what it it does. It's it's not common, but it does happen from time to time where you announce you're releasing someone, but you're not actually allowed to physically do it for say 24 hours. And at that point, teams do their research. They take the time and they say, "All right, what if we actually traded for this guy?" You know, it's not going to be a lot. It would probably be a conditional seventh or round pick, sixth round pick, something like that. But for the Browns, they get to pick where he goes out of the division would be one place, um, and they get to 
you know, get a little, get forgiven on the salary a little bit. Not that it's much, but at least they get someone to, to kind of take it on. Um, that is a possible scenario. You know, and, and from what I understand, Josh Gordon would like to go play for the Cowboys or the 49ers. <laughs> the Niners are a possibility. They actually tried to trade for him a couple of years ago. Uh, that certainly will be a situation to watch. Are they making room for Dez Bryant? Uh, it's, it seems like that'd be a perfect opportunity for Dez uh, to slip right into that spot. Yeah, from what I'm told, the Browns remain interested in Dez Bryant. Uh, they've had some contact between Dez Bryant's agent. Um, you know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, they couldn't agree on price in the preseason. That was the issue. It wasn't lack of interest. It was that they just could not agree on price, and uh, maybe because there's a need. Maybe the the price can kind of meet a little bit, or maybe because they're zero and two, and they say, you know what, it's just it's just not worth doing it. Um, there's a lot to play out, but from what I understand, a possible uh, Des Bryant signing is something to keep an eye on. Chatting with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, looks like it's going to be a long year for the Bills. They got pounded by the Chargers to fall to zero and two. Devonte Davis retire at halftime today, Ian. You know, I think he may have. Um, and, you know, just listening to the quotes from some of the players, first of all, I, I can't say that I've heard that before. I mean, look, I guess, you know, what they say about players, when you're thinking about retirement, you, you basically are retired. I just can't remember someone doing it, like, in the middle of the game and being, all right, I'm done. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Lorenzo Alexander said it. He said he was told that Vontae retired at halftime, walked out of the stadium, and, and left. Um, so, I guess... That's that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Chargers look really good today. And yeah, speaking did. about uh, this this organization, uh, they kind of under the radar. You have Phillip Rivers, who has just been so good over the course of his career. Williams playing a lot better since his rookie year. You have Keenan Allen there. So many, so many weapons. But talk to us a little bit about what's going on with the injury bug with this football team. Yeah, I think this is something that the Chargers have battled, you know, kind of throughout. And, you know, Teams deal with a lot of things, um, but it's almost like the more you deal with injuries, you know, I, I guess like the better you are at it. So I mean, the Chargers could take anything now and they'd be like, ah, whatever. Like we've we've dealt, we've seen Hunter Henry go down with an ACL non-contact before the season. We've seen um, a guy who's going to be a starting cornerback for us go down doing a conditioning drill. Um, that's something that just you know never happens. They lost the right tackle. I mean, I think the Chargers. You know, as just look at a roster on paper, up and down, have one of the better rosters in the NFL. So they could deal with these kind of things. But when they actually get out on the field and play, they are a legit team and and certainly someone, uh, I think, to look out for. Let's wrap it up on the legal front. Seattle and Chicago matching up on Monday Night Football. Seahawks have signed Michael Kendricks. But Ian, since he's pled guilty to insider trading and he's set to be incarcerated coming up in January, do you expect the league to allow him to play this season? I expect them to allow him to play Monday night. Uh, what happens after Monday night, I do not know. Uh, he's going to be suspended. Um, he is figuring out that right now. He still needs to meet with league officials to sort of have his say. Um, my educated guess is that he comes in and plays one game and then we see. You know, how many games is it going to be? I mean, there's not a lot of white-collar crimes um, that players have been, you know, convicted for, pled guilty to, it just, there's not a lot of precedent. I mean, if it was a, 
a DUI, I could say, okay, that's that's two games. It was a marijuana possession. I could say, all right, that's probably one game. Uh, this is a new one. Uh, so I think we're all kind of, you know, learning on the fly. Um, but obviously for the Seahawks, they felt, you know, it's it's not a lot of risk. I mean, you know, theoretically he could play some parts of the season, and after that, you know, he's probably going to go away for a little bit. Ian, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL Odd Tune-In. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Eagles and the Bucks with T.J. Reeves, sideline reporter for the Buccaneers Radio Network. Now let's expand the conversation. As promised, spotlight the Buccaneers. 2-0 to start the year, coming off their 27-21 victory over the Eagles. Pleased to be joined by T.J. Reeves, sideline reporter for the Buccaneers Radio Network. T.J., I appreciate your patience. Thanks for hanging in there. And you are a veteran talk show host, so I'm asking for your opinion, not speaking as a representative of the organization. Based on how well Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing, four more touchdown passes today. What do you think the Bucks do in a couple weeks when Jameis Winston comes back from his suspension? Well, it's a great question. I know you guys were just debating it. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with EA there. Uh, hey. Look, that's a that's a question that comes up after the Steelers game, honestly, because this has been a week to week thing. I mean, he played brilliantly, Fitzpatrick, last week, but there was all the talk this week that well, you've seen time and again he plays a good game, Fitzpatrick, over the last four or five years, and then plays a poor game. Well, I'm here to tell you from field level. Uh, today and it was hot it was like stick your head in an oven hot in tampa he was hot he was equally figuratively hot again today and the bucks are rolling so it's a great problem to have it's a controversy that is brewing heading into that monday night game coming up but uh, guys you can't see it you can't say enough about the job fitzpatrick has done and this is why we love sports this is why we love the nfl because who had my tampa bay buccaneers two and oh coming off of uh Jameis Winston's suspension. This is why you line up and play the games. Yeah. When you look at this team, you, you love Evans. You, you love Goodwin. Deshaun Jackson is just a, a beast. O.J. Howard is is one of those young and up-and-coming type uh, tight ends that are very difficult in the run game and the pass game. Talk to us about the preparation going into the week. Do they just say, hey, there's no one could cover us? Well, I mean, there are a lot of weapons, and we've said that for the last two or three years building around Mike Evans, and last year you signed Deshaun Jackson, you draft O.J. Howard, you draft Chris Godwin, uh, who looks like a monstrous find in the middle rounds of the draft a year ago, Godwin we're talking about. And you haven't even really utilized Adam Humphreys and Cameron Braid, who've been really stars of the offense the last two or three years in Tampa Bay. So, yeah, there is a wealth of weapons right now. You hope there's not injuries. There might be down the road, but Tampa Bay's got some depth in the big play department. And I'm here to tell you, the big fellow O.J. Howard, potential through the roof. I mean, that catch over the middle, you'll see the highlights of it uh, all throughout the evening and the next couple of days. There are not a lot of guys that are 6'5", 6'6", and 260 pounds or so that can motor like O.J. Howard did (laughs) to take off and go catch and run on that play. So I think one more point that I would make, and you saw it, at, at uh, precision passing, put the ball where your guys can make plays. Fitzpatrick has done that, Brian and Eric, for the last two weeks. Put it in front of them, put, put it where they can run after the catch, and look what can happen, and it has happened. Chatting with T.J. Reeves, sideline reporter, Buccaneers Radio Network. At some point, if Ryan Fitzpatrick can't maintain his momentum, Tampa Bay's got to run the football with Doug Martin now playing for the Raiders. Who do you have faith in moving forward at the running back position? Well, Peyton Barber is the guy that they want to utilize. Um, and, and, again, he has a day-to-day where he didn't even rush for 30 yards. A lot of it was 
tough sledding in the second half where the Eagles were kind of cramming the line of scrimmage. But when you have a team that is clicking, throwing the ball, and Eric, you know this, uh, I mean, you can live with a couple of weeks of not being able to run it effectively because nobody's been able to stop Fitzmagic and the 400-yard, four-touchdown passing game. How about in the history of the NFL? I don't know if you guys have gone over this stat. They were just telling us this in the postgame show on the Buccaneers radio coverage. In the history of the NFL, there is one player with two 400-yard, four-touchdown passing games. Not Dan Marino, not Peyton Manning, not Brett Favre, not Tom Brady, not Drew Brees. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick the last two weeks. <laughs> now, who had that? That's the problem. Well, I guess that's the inspiration for that outfit he had on after the game, right? Oh, <laughs> so that's how Brian Weber rolls. That was a tribute, I think, to Colin McGregor. The fans will see it on social media. They'll see it tonight on TV. Fitzpatrick rolling with the kind of the black open open button down, no shirt on with the chains and the sunglasses. And, you know, all I know is I was standing and talking to Quan Alexander on the postgame coverage, and Fitzpatrick came out of the bathroom area in that outfit, and his teammates rallied around to all take selfies and take pictures. So if you want to say that a guy has got the locker room and has got the huddle right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick has it. Yeah, that's a dangerous place to be if you're a backup or if you're a guy right now who's wanting his job back. Yeah, and Jameis Winston. And, TJ, you've been around this franchise for many years. How do you think Jameis Winston is handling the news, obviously supportive of his teammates, but has to wonder about his own personal future? Well, that's got to be your, your first and foremost thing is you want to win. And this team is starved. This franchise is starved for winning. Has not been in the playoffs in a decade. And, look, Jameis uh, can't have official contact with, uh, with the organization in terms of game tape, can't be at the facility, none of that. Now, in terms of being able to be in contact with his teammates, you know, that's a, you know, who knows how much of that's going on. But he's got to be elated. I know he wants to win. And, look, it's a long season. You don't know what's going to happen. You hope injuries don't come into play. They may very well be counting on Jameis Winston in a couple of weeks. We don't know. But for right now, uh, the only thing that he can do is bide his time, stay in shape, and be ready when his name and number is called. And uh, we'll see how that part plays out. And now, uh, I mean, who again, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Who had you yeah. with you. Who had the Bucks 2-0 and and the Steelers 0-1-1 for Monday Night Football next Monday night? Yeah. I, I want to talk to somebody that had that. That's right. Last couple things for you. Again, and rightfully so, we've been talking so much about the offense and the production, the explosive plays. We all love that. But give us a little bit of uh, detail, an idea of, on defense, who's been kind of balling out and who's helped to get this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team to 2-0. and well, they did well today, and the Bucks have an excellent veteran now defensive line unit. Jason Pierre-Paul is still the real deal. He was chasing Nick Foles everywhere and had a couple of sacks. Actually had one sack, had a, had a quarterback hurry where, where uh, he leveled Foles. Uh, they were able to get a couple of turnovers in this game. Buccaneers playing with a very young secondary. Uh, they, uh, they have very little experience back there. The veteran Chris Conti got hurt in the game today. Uh, Brent Grimes, the veteran, was inactive again with a groin injury. The Buccaneers at one point were playing three rookies, three first-year players in the secondary in the second half of the game. So they're a little thin and young in the secondary. But this was a game where the defense had to stand up. And I know Philadelphia made it interesting at the end with a couple touchdowns, but that D overall played well today and helped them get the win. Awesome. TJ, always a pleasure. We appreciate your patience. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. I love it. I want you to replicate the Fitzmagic outfit today, Brian. I expect a picture on social media later tonight or tomorrow. I'm waiting for the simulcast. It'll take me five years to grow the beard, but at least I'll have a goal. Thank you, TJ.
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight the divisional matchup between the Panthers and Falcons with Ovi Maheli, the former Falcons fullback. Now let's recap the Falcons' 31-24 divisional win over the Panthers. Pleased to be joined by Ovi Maheli, the former Pro Bowl fullback for the Falcons. Ovi, thanks so much for taking the time. What did you take away from the win today? Man, I think according that the Falcons were able to right some wrongs from last week because, uh, just being around Atlanta, a lot of people weren't too happy that we won zero games in the preseason and we lost our first game in the fashion we did. So to get this win and to do it where we're uh, a lot better in the red zone, a lot better on third down, a lot better with some of the basics of the game, to uh, just let people know, including I think ourselves, that we have that foundation to really get this year was, uh, was good to watch. Yeah, looking at it, I, I thought the uh, one big point was the red zone. I mean, uh, the focus on on getting seven points in the red zone, focus on really uh, finding ways to be versatile, not just throwing the throwing the fade to Julio. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, I think it's really, well, I, just from experience, I know that when we have a game like the one the Falcons showed last week, we try to work on our weaknesses. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And the weakest link for the Falcons, not just this year, but for a couple of years, has been the red zone. And uh, they, they just probably got it right because it's one thing to draw it up a certain way, one thing to practice it, but when the lights are on, when the clock's ticking down, when uh, you know everyone's looking at you, you've got to execute. And they were finally able to execute over and over and over again. And even Matt running that play into the red zone, it's, uh, it, it's funny because... I remember his rookie season when uh, he came in. It was like a baby giraffe running when he tried to scramble. <laughs> he just looked like he was going to fall out and break. But um, he was strong. Three guys. I watched play the replay a couple times. Three guys came at him. He, uh, you know, got hit, spun around, his legs moving, and uh, you know, piled in like a good fullback. Talking Falcons with Ovi Mahaley as Atlanta picked up the divisional win today over Carolina, despite the fact Devontae Freeman unable to play, and according to reports, he could be out for a few more weeks with a knee issue. So, Ovi, what did Tevin Coleman show you with his 100-yard rushing game? My gosh, Tevin Coleman, I always knew he was shifty, but that one uh, run on the outside where he uh, juked to the outside, came back to the inside, and it took off. He showed me I don't want him to go nowhere, but he could carry a team all by himself if he wanted to. If he wanted to just be the guy, and I know that you want that competitive nature to be in all of your plays. You want them to feel like that they could be the guy at any time. Uh, he showed that he could. Uh, not only with the strength, not only you know powering through uh, blocks and breaking tackles, but just with the consistency, making good decisions. Because uh, tailback is only as good as his offensive line or only as good as how he can work with his offensive line. You know what, off, defensively, in the secondary particularly, had some injuries, had a suspension, uh, big-time performance today. Ricardo Allen gets an interception. You have to find ways to be successful against a guy like Cam Newton because in the pocket – he can get outside of it at times and move it, being able to throw the ball down the field. It, they did a good job, it seemed like, today, and being able to what we call you want to glue onto your guy once Cam is outside the pocket. You can't just stay in your zone, whether it's a a, a man or or, or a, some kind of a combination zone. Once he's outside the pocket, you got to find a way to latch on. Yeah, uh, Tad McKinley is someone that from the time he – so was drafted by the Falcons. Everyone's been watching him because passion 
is, uh, you know, something that he's not lacking at all. He was amazing, not only during his tackle or during his sack, but throughout his whole time playing today, his motor never stopped. And it's always good to see when the light's shining on somebody else is coming up to step up to the plate. And uh, Tack was, uh, you know, one of the men who had defense from like Dan Quillen, the Falcons. Obi, as you think about the balance of power in that division, three teams made it to the postseason last year. Are you buying the Bucks two and zero to start the year behind Ryan Fitzpatrick? I am. I am buying the Bucks. I don't want to buy the Bucks. That's the problem because uh, we don't have to worry about them. The Saints will get good. You know, get better season. They're doing with the Bucks. We have a couple. We've got to worry about them. The Bucks get good is not the front. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's the man who it's his time to shine. And when he has an opportunity to take that spotlight, he's performing. Now, and the money, that's another thing. You're never going to know if he's performing at that level. But right now, he has a point to prove, and he's proving it. Ovi, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. No problem, Saturday. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, recapping the matchup between Minnesota and Green Bay with Greg Matzik from WTMJ and the Packers Radio Network. Pleased to be joined by Greg Matzik, host of the postgame show on WTMJ and the Packers Radio Network. Greg, thanks for taking the time. Ties, of course, are unsatisfying, but does the outcome feel any better considering Minnesota's kicker Daniel Carlson missed three field goals and could have won the game in the final seconds of overtime? Yeah, I'd be curious to see what both fan bases and teams are thinking about this one. You know, both teams had plenty of opportunities. You feel like it should not have even come down to an overtime situation in this game. The Vikings scored 22 points in the fourth quarter. The Packers appeared in control. You knew Minnesota would have to come back in them. Uh, and then some questionable calls down the stretch, some questionable ball handling. Uh, Aaron Rodgers pointing the finger at himself for a series in overtime. Packers missed a field goal as well. Both teams had their opportunities, and I think fitting that this game ended the way that it did. Yeah, but Aaron's still up for the task. Uh, uh, basically, uh, on a, on one and a half uh, legs, being able to get it done. You you are you are right about the RPO late in the game. I, I didn't really understand that with with Rogers having a, a, a bum knee. But talk to us a little bit about how he prepared for this great Minnesota defense with basically a, a, a half foot. Well, it's a defense he's certainly familiar with. And uh, Mike Zimmer's chess matches, along with uh, the Packers' offense, have been pretty interesting to watch over the years. But Rodgers operated in a, in a classroom capacity throughout the entire week. It was a lot of mental preparation, which you know, a lot of this game is, but nothing on field at all. Uh, I think he was only under center one time during this game, Eric, if my count is correct. He was operating out of the pistol. And uh, there were some unique wrinkles, I thought, to the Packers' offense. What I saw from Aaron is that he was, by and large, efficient and on time. And ultimately, as the game started to wear on, you could feel like he was getting a little bit more loose and a little bit more comfortable at moving through the pocket. I think he took a couple hits that that he certainly is going to feel tomorrow. But, you know, he dialed up his own number uh, a couple of times and and was forced to scramble a couple of occasions. I think, if nothing else, it, it makes you feel good for the Packers next week when they go into Washington and the following week when they host the Bills that, yes, this injury might linger a little bit, but you saw what Aaron did against one of the premier defenses in the league, and it was pretty impressive to watch overall. 
Chatting with Greg Matzik. He's the host of the postgame show on WTMJ and the Packers Radio Network. Because Aaron Rodgers is superhuman, beyond the details of the injury report, did you have any doubts he was going to play today? I really didn't. And uh, it, it just it kind of goes back to his body language. And I was standing next to Aaron on Wednesday uh, when we were asking him about the knee and, and how did he want to classify it. Uh, he more or less agreed to call it a knee sprain. Um, but we've kind of seen the movie before with Aaron Rodgers and his calf. Um, I, look, I don't know what's more painful, more complicated to play through, but he was able to do them both. And, uh, you know, against a great defense, against a mediocre defense, doesn't really matter. Uh, that knee is, is put under stress regardless of the opponent. So he's got to be able to endure the pain, which he did today. Um, and, again, I'm sure he'll be sore tomorrow, but a game time flow, it's the it's you know, great time of the year. You've got the crowd behind you, and, yeah, the adrenaline starts flowing a little bit. I thought he, by and large, played a very impressive game and and found his targets. You know, he wants to question what happened toward the end of the game. In overtime, you're at the 37-yard line. Guys, their drive went from second and one to third and four to fourth and 11 and out of field goal range. The Packers should have had an opportunity to win that game in the overtime period, and it didn't because Aaron mishandled the ball. and He dialed up his own number on a second and one, a little keeper play to try and get a first down and then wasn't able to get the ball out of his hands on a third and four. He owned up to those mistakes after the game, which is exactly what you want your leader to do. Yeah, I've been in defensive meetings where uh, the emphasis is really on making sure you get as close to uh, the edge as possible as far as attacking the quarterback and pushing the quarterback, and you want bodies around him. It seemed like the Vikings had that in store for Aaron Rodgers. A lot of times he would get rid of the ball. They gave him a little nudge or a little push or just graze him. I think uh, the Vikings really wanted to try and test uh, that knee out as much as they can. Did you feel the same? Yeah, I did. And, and, you know, the kind of defense, too, Eric, that that collapses the pocket from inside and from outside. So, um, you know, the Packers' offensive line certainly had their, their test and everything cut out for them today. I thought overall they held pretty well. Um, but, you know, hits on the quarterback are, are part of the storyline here. Eric, I, I don't know if you'd enjoy playing in today's NFL with <laughs> what's being called on the quarterback. Right. You, you know, a lot of the talk on our postgame show was, you know, what, what else is Clay Matthews supposed to do? At the end of the game, when Jair Alexander comes down with an interception, you know, all that's negated because of a, a personal foul. Tony uh-huh. Carrente, the official after the game, said it, it, it had nothing to do with helmet to helmet, but that Clay drove the quarterback to the ground. Oh, man. Guys, I, I really didn't see it that way. i got to be honest here. This is not Packers homer in me at all. This, this, I, I just didn't see it. But that's what we're subjected to now in the NFL is that body weight is now a subjective call, and I don't think that's right. Yeah, I agree with you. Greg, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, guys. Be good. Thank you.